You are listening to the Yizzy Research Podcast, hosted and created by me, Imani, a researcher. This is the podcast for people who research people. In this episode, I'm going to speak with Morgan. I am Morgan Ramsey. I am a UX researcher or user experience researcher. I'm currently at Compass, which is a real estate tech startup. I primarily focus in two different areas. So I have one foot in transaction management, which is the full platform end-to-end surface for how real estate agents process their business. I started at Compass as an AI researcher. So I was doing a lot of work within artificial intelligence and kind of understanding how our users were responding to that. Before Compass, I was at Google for five years. I started as an analyst and worked my way and kind of was very strategic to get into the space of UX research. And all this started, um, I went to Duke, I was a public policy major, and I was really interested in a policy in the Dominican Republic, which took away citizenship from Haitian Dominicans. So I really wanted to understand that policy. And instead of doing reading books and kind of going to the library, like a lot of my um, friends were doing, I did that. But I also really wanted to have a better understanding of the experience from people going through removing or not having that access. So I wanted to go down there and talk to them myself, essentially. And in that world, when I went down there, I created, I essentially was doing field research, um, but going down there and talking to folks, learning their stories, that's when I fell in love with research. And that's when I started realizing that I wanted my goal, whatever company I went to, whatever role I took to amplify unheard voices um, in product design. Um, So I'm sure we'll get into that in a little bit, but that's why I started. I was a public policy student, then I went to Google as an analyst, rotated into UX research, and now I'm a full-time UX researcher. Morgan will be talking about her work researching artificial intelligence, more specifically in the real estate technology space. She'll be talking about what methods she used and how to make AI equitable. Her perspective on research was shaped largely by her unconventional path into UX research. I started at Google in 2016, but I will say that um, before that, I was doing um, internships. Um, one within the, it was called the diversity team at the time, and also within the benefits team. And the work that I did for my internship was research work. So I was doing interviews and focus groups, and I was running a lot of research-based methods. So by the time I got to Google in their rotational HR program for an analyst, I was already very interested in going more deeply into that space of research. I just didn't know what it was called. So the first thing I did after I drank the Google Kool-Aid, I was living my best life. I was like, okay, now I need to figure out what this world is called. So I... First and foremost, set up a whole bunch on one-to-one-on-ones with everybody I knew who was somewhat in the research world. So I was like, hey, I did this thing in the Dominican Republic. I also did this thing when I was doing a researcher work at um, in my internship. Do you know what this is called? And so it was kind of like I was trying to chase breadcrumbs and trying to understand what the world, because I didn't know what UX are. I didn't know what UX research was. After talking to a lot of people, probably about six months into my journey, I was able to refine my questions, refine my goals. And when I was speaking to people, it was a lot more targeted. And I found out that it was UX research. So with that knowledge, I then was like, okay, I need to be very strategic on how to move from the POPs world, the people operations or HR world into this more technical world of UX research. So within, after that, my second year at Google, there I was in a rotational program. So my second year was in another rotation 
but I specifically wanted that rotation to be abroad because I wanted to know about the experiences of non-California-based, non-American Googlers, and I wanted to know how they were experienced Google. Um, so I moved to Ireland. Um, I also knew there was a huge UX research hub in London and a partner who I was really interested in working with in France. So I put myself in the position where I could be to really um, learn more about UX research. So that, that way I got my mentorship. I partnered with a lot of um, teams doing a lot of 20% projects, which are kind of like smaller projects. Um, and I was able to that way build up my case studies and my experience as a kind of helping out researcher. Then for my final rotation, my third role, um, I just went for it. I created a uh, scope of the work I wanted to do. I pitched it to a partner that I was working with and said, hey, I can help you do this work as a researcher. I've built up this rapport and I built up these, this expertise. So give me a shot. And essentially that's what happened. I became a researcher unofficially and started doing a lot of research work from her, learning from her. And then after a while, I was able to apply officially to become a UX researcher in my fourth year at Google. Um, and that took a lot of, that was a very bumpy road because I had to essentially prove that I've been doing the work that I'm applying to do internally, that I've been doing that. And so that happened to be a lot of negotiation, a lot of networking, a lot of um, creating portfolios and reading and watching YouTube videos. So it was definitely a strategic process, a very long process to shift into this career, but strategic nonetheless. Strategic is a good word. Strategic and very complex, which seems to be a lot of people's path into UX research. Um, while at Compass, you worked as an AI UX researcher. What constitutes AI? Yes. So there are many components to AI. I probably won't do it justice in this um, small framework, but um, as I understand, it's very similar to IBM's definition. Um, AI is the field that combines computer science and robust data sets to enable problem solving. And so there are a lot of different components to that from an applications perspective. There can be like image recognition, speech recognition, natural language processing. Um, there are also different types of models like deep learning, machine learning, neural networks. Um, from a hardware and software perspective, the coding languages are like Python, um, Java, C. There are a lot of different intricacies with that. Um, but I'm more so focused on the research component of it. Like, Ultimately, all of that has to be received and interpreted by a human. So I'm more so interested in this other component of AI, which is understanding and implementing that AI. How do people respond to it? So that's where I focus more on that component. Um, but those are the components that make up the broader field of AI. When doing AI UX research, are you researching the computer that has been programmed for AI? Or are you researching the end user using the AI tool? The end user. So that's what I'm more so focused on. How are people responding to the AI after the AI is built, after they have a model, or even before the AI is built, before they're while they're thinking about their model, I'm thinking about the bookends. I'm thinking about what are people going to, how are people going to respond to it? Um, what are their thoughts around trust? So yes, definitely the end user and how they're experiencing the AI. The nature of AI is predictive, but UX research is typically more observational and descriptive. How do you reconcile the two? That's a really good question. I think this question comes up a lot too, as we understand the value of UX research or user experience research, and just ultimately responsible product design and responsible innovation. 
while the two may seem disconnected or kind of like on opposite ends, the way I think about it is that AI does not work in a vacuum. It has to be created by humans and it has to be understood by humans. So while um, AI is predictive and can recommend next steps, the computer brain essentially is being trained by different data points and that's entered at some point by a human. And at the end of it, they've created this beautiful AI model. Somebody on the other end has to understand it, has to work with it, um, and has to be essentially understood by humans. So as a researcher, as an AI researcher, I look at those two bookends. Um, I critically evaluate the human elements in the very beginning, such as what data are people putting in? Is it ethical to enter this information? Um, and on the very end, I understand how humans behave and respond to the AI. Are there trust concerns? Are there adoption concerns? What are motivational challenges that might be corresponding to the two? Are there any um, things that we are missing, any user groups that are not being considered? Um, so I have more of a holistic understanding of how AI is applied um, and how it could even be improved to make everyone's lives better. And in addition to AI being predictive, it's also fairly new. How do you get people to understand the value of doing UX research on something so new? That's also a very good question. Um, UX research in general is a pretty new concept. So yes, AI UX research is pretty new or it's just now getting the limelight. And UX research isn't a new concept per se, because people have been doing research and human factors research since like the 80s, I believe. But in terms of the main stage, UX research is just now being called on. Before it was like UX design or kind of product design, that was the big thing. Now is UX research coming up as design's little sister and everybody's like, oh, look at that. That's also pretty interesting and also pretty effective. Um, so understanding the value and preaching the value add of UX research is really important. It's also very difficult. Um, the one thing and the way I talk about UX research and the value of it is that everything, no matter your product, no matter your design, no matter your business strategy, everything is run by data. And without knowing your data, you most likely won't have a successful product. And I've seen this happen a couple of times where founders have built products without understanding their data or even worse, their users. And so they end up building products with little to no market value um, or a little to no market need because they're building a solution before they understand the problem. So when it comes to understanding and explaining the value of UX research, I speak to a couple factors. One, the market value, the market ad for your company or for your product, for AI, um, and how this is going to be useful and effective. Um, I also think about how if we really take time to understand our users, we'll be saving money and time on the back end. Because if we put out a product that isn't well-researched, people might respond poorly. That could result in a lot of different things. It could result in people not adopting it all the way to lawsuits. So there are a lot of ethical questions that we might have missed. So by making sure we're investing in understanding our user base, that can really save time and money, lawsuits, all that on the back end. Um, and all of this is how I think translates to business success. So that work itself is how I consider it. I, I call it responsible innovation. And by talking about responsible innovation and how it saves time and how it saves money and how you understand your user and how you can also create more effective, more holistic products, that's how I talk about UX research and the value of it and why that's critical for us to do in the beginning of the design cycle versus the end. 
If you are an aspiring or current UX researcher who needs help with your resume, professional brand, interview skills, cover letter, LinkedIn profile, and portfolio, consider applying for the Yizzy Research Coaching Program. Coaching clients exit the program with a refreshed resume, cover letter, research portfolio, and detailed notes to make them more competitive in the UX research job market. If you are interested or know someone who is, visit yizzyresearch.com to learn more and apply. That's Yizzy Research, Y-Z-Z-I research.com. And speaking of responsible innovation, one of the criticisms leveled against, levied against AI is that it is or it can be discriminatory. How can UX research potentially make AI more equitable? I think there are different levels to making AI more equitable um, that don't just involve the research as a practice, but involves the company and all that as an institution as well. So I think from the first level, it has to be hiring. Um, There aren't enough researchers, in my opinion, that have diverse backgrounds. Um, This career itself is very lucrative. It's a lot of strategy involved. It's very critical to designing products and businesses. Um, But I've noticed I'm the only person of color. I'm the only Black woman that I know at my company. I was also the only Black woman at my prior company in the entire department who was a UX researcher. That's always interesting to be one of one in a space. I think that's also, there are a lot of different reasons why that is. Maybe we're just not, um, people in my demographic, black women, black people, maybe we're just not aware or we haven't been told or we haven't, we don't explore um, this job profession. But because of that, I think if a lot of the same minds are in the same room, sometimes we don't have a lot of new ideas, new perspective, a lot of blind spots that we're missing. Um, so I think at first, and that obviously translates into the product design process itself, you know, so if we're all thinking the same, we're designing the same product and we're all missing the same blind spots. And so I think the first step is making sure that as we're recruiting for UX research, we're making sure that we're bringing people from all ends of the world. That's also one of the goals of my business, as I mentioned, to help people, um, get into the field, especially from different backgrounds so that we can add to this soup of wonderful, new, creative, diverse ideas so we can create great products. So yes, the first thing would be the hiring. The second one is the actual research. So a lot of times I've realized that folks who are in the space aren't trained on how to do inclusive and holistic research. Um, There can be a lot of tactical things like doing a quick usability study, which is like, can you find this on the page? Is this button here? So there are a lot of straightforward to the point questions. But there are a lot of elements that can be tweaked or can be looked at in a very critical lens to make sure we're doing it inclusively. First and foremost, biggest kind of target is the recruiting aspect for who we're talking to. Um, So if we're making sure we're recruiting a diverse sample of folks, um, we might be thinking about things like cultural competencies, like not running studies during certain times where parents might be busy or not running studies in certain days that might be sacred for different demographics and religions. So there are a lot of nuances that play into who you speak to and when you speak to them um, that can either screen people in to the study or screen them out, whether consciously or subconsciously. Um, so there are tactical things, strategic things around the actual research that can make um, the people you speak to more diverse or more um, homogenous. And when doing so, you're also able to detect some of the biases um, in the training data itself. 
Um, so the training data is what is the brain, quote unquote, for the AI. And so as they learn more data, as the computer learns more data, it creates better predictions. Um, but if we're not critiquing the training data, where therefore Google had the saying, bad data in, bad data out, as long as we're not critiquing what we're putting in, whatever is going to pop out is going to pop out. So being able to have a diverse group, a diverse group of researchers, a way that we're thinking about our research strategy, we'll be able to detect some of those biases in that product roadmap um, and provide a heuristic evaluation or a best practice for how to better execute the project. And then finally, I think on the third level is the implementation. So once we have the researchers, we built the research, great, we have this wonderful insight on how we can be more inclusive and be less discriminatory. I think research is only as good as it is absorbed. So if we're doing research for research sake and it's just sitting on a shelf because leaders aren't acting on it or they're not um, taking accountability for it, it really just doesn't do anything. I think at a certain level, there's a level of accountability that also needs to be on the leadership level where they're interested in implementing those UX research recommendations to make sure that the product isn't um, discriminatory or at least we're attacking some of those biases that might have inadvertently got in there. So I think that's another big part of it too, is holding leaders accountable to make sure they're actually leaders, being PMs, directors, founders, whoever it might be, to make sure they're actually acting on the findings and making sure that from an implementation standpoint, the research is being digested. Mm -hmm. That is so true, so important. Like you said, the research is not useful if it's just sitting on a shelf. What research methods do you usually use when doing UX research in the AI space? So I do um, a myriad of things. It depends on where the team is and where they are on their design cycle. If we're at the very beginning and we just want to do some exploratory research, there might be interviews, um, surveys, focus groups. Um, but actually recently I've done a, when you're towards the end and you're like, okay, we have the insights, we've done deep insights. Now what should we build? I use a method called co-design, which is similar to um, participatory design or co-creation. There are a couple names for it, but it helps the team, the design team, the research team, the PMs, product managers, engineers map out what they should build given the insights that we found. So between two of those, depending on where the cycle is, I fluctuate between those several methods. And when you're actually doing the research studies, when you're in the research session, um, what is like what are some common challenges you have and how do you address them? When I'm in the research session for AI, you're referring to? Yeah, for AI research studies. One of the biggest challenges I see um, from an insights perspective is that folks, um, the users are very hesitant when it comes to AI. So there are a lot of questions we ask about user trust, um, a lot of questions about what what are you a little hesitant about when using this or some motivational challenges, like what's motivating you to use it, what's not motivating you to use it. Um, why did you stop using it? And that's all because I think when we get really excited, when founders and product teams get really excited about a product, sometimes we feel that the product and the AI product might actually replace the human brain um, instead of complement the human brain. And so when, when those insights come out around human trust, there's a lot of conversation I have to have with PMs around that. Like our goal is not to replace the human brain. Our goal is to complement the human brain to help them out do daily tasks that they are not interested in doing, but not try to take over. Um, so I think understanding 
the, the user trust concerns and communicating that to people where this product is like their baby sometimes is very challenging. Um, so I think that would be probably be the biggest and the most common challenge I've seen is around that user trust concern and how I articulate it to people who you can tell them like this is this is their product. You can tell them no wrong. There's nothing wrong with the product. It's the most it's the smartest, coolest, best product out there. So trying to take that and explain that to people um, has been the biggest challenge. And as a follow up to that, how do you socialize your findings with the wider company? Yeah, it depends on the, the audience. So if I'm talking to there are three different methods that you can typically present as a researcher, you can either do it in a very quick scale. If, if we need this like yesterday, I might just do a one pager, like here are the high level insights um, or preliminary insights. So we haven't finished all the analysis yet, but they need something. So that's the way I kind of package that up in a one pager. But if I'm doing a readout, which is a full end to end, this is what we did. These are all the insights in deep, like a deep dive of it. I'll do that in a presentation or a slide deck format. Um, but the way I speak to different needs and different findings depends on the audience. So for product managers, leaders, and, and the such, I will talk more so around the executive summary, how this has impacted our understanding of the product. I'll talk about um, unique value add. I'll talk a lot about a lot of concepts related to business and business growth and development. For researchers, though, I'll get into the nitty gritty of the methods because uh, some leaders aren't all interested in the methods and some researchers aren't all interested in the business impact. It really depends on who you're speaking to. Um, so knowing your audience and knowing how you socialize that, I think, really rests in understanding um, how you're delivering this, this research. And we talked a lot about AI for the past few minutes, but you weren't always a UXR dedicated to AI right? How does being a UX researcher on AI products differ from other types of UX research you've done? I think AI is more so a home for me because it combines so many different aspects of research that I've done. So at Google, I worked on a lot of inclusive research where I was understanding underrepresented Googlers experiences at Google. So any of the marginalization that happens, microaggressions that happens, um, performance and promotion challenges for underrepresented employees. Um, those are some of those social, those mental models and social structures that I was analyzing in that role. And before that, in the Dominican Republic, I was just doing kind of um, research in field, field, field study research. So I was looking into cultural demographics, language barriers, a lot of different things there. AI is a place where I'm able to combine all of that knowledge from the inclusive research to the um, to thinking about a lot of the different demographics that I'm working with, um, to some ethnographic research. There are a lot of different components that I've worked with and AI covers all of that. So I think it's not so different than what I've worked from before, but it more so incorporates all that I've learned up until this point as a researcher. And I'm able to flex those and show those and implement those in different ways. Yeah, it's cumulative. Exactly. In the last question here, I want to think about the future. Is there a concern that AI may become so sophisticated that it will replace UX researchers? Oh, God, I hope not, because that's my job. But on a, on a serious note, I think um, the AI is predictive for data points. So I think, in my opinion, I think AI has a really great way of predicting quantitative measures, like very, like, this is the data, this is the the numbers on a page, but I don't think a computer 
will ever replace a human. There are emotions that I don't think humans are so complex and emotions can be understood up until a point. I'm sure a, a computer will be able to figure it out, but there's still, it's not a human. It's not a person. It's not a living organism. And I don't think for a qualitative researcher, that element will ever be replaced on connecting with somebody one-to-one, building rapport, getting to know who they are as a person um, and showing real human connection. That is the element of a qualitative researcher, which is what I am. I'm, I'm the person talking to people, having running interviews, um, understanding their story, advocating for them. I don't think an AI will get to the point where it will be able to take that on in a very organic way. Um, so I don't think that you qualitative UX researchers will be replaced. I think there might be some elements that could help quantitative UX researchers, but I think some of those um, more tactical jobs like recruiters or sourcers, those would probably be the first in line to have um, AI supplements. Then there would be more strategic roles or more, um, more uh, empathy-based roles, such as researchers um, for AI to take over. All right, so robots and computers aren't taking over the world or our research jobs, (laughs) but it is good to seriously consider the role AI plays in our lives and in our workplaces as well. Thanks for listening to the Yeezy Research Podcast, the podcast for people who research people. I'm Imani, the host and creator. Visit yeezyresearch.com for podcast show notes and information about my UX research coaching program. Again, that's yzresearch.com, Y-Z-Z-I, research.com. This podcast was produced by Whisper and Mutter.